Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of Activist Lawyer. I am in a very snowy, snowy Newry today in the Granite Podcast Studio. There's not too many about, but I am absolutely delighted to be joined via Zoom by Darren Lawler, Barrister. Thank you, Darren, for joining me today. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. So a brief bio just for some of our listeners. We're not going to go into too much detail because Darren will take us through his um, background and his journey into law, which is really, really inspiring and really unique and I think will appeal to many, many of our listeners. But um, suffice to say that Darren is a junior counsel working in Dublin. He ordinarily works in the district court and is a criminal defence barrister, which is something we're going to get into, the nuts and bolts around that in today's podcast. Darren had many, many jobs before he became a barrister through the King's Inn. Um, The the last job that he did was a, a taxi driver, and that's where he started to study law while driving his taxi. So we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. Back in 2008, he also worked with Aslan, the the Dublin-based band, um, and he had many other hats, as he says, that all fed into his um, journey into law, very much supported by his wonderful wife, Fiona, who he met again when she asked for guitar lessons um, when he'd picked her up as a customer. And so, yes, we're really, really, really excited to have Darren here and to have him share his wonderful story and really also to share the reality of working in the district court in criminal defence in Ireland these days. He'll also importantly share details about a protest on the 2nd of May which he will um, highlight in terms of calling all barristers to come out across Ireland and protest for around illegal aid fees for criminal um, defence barristers. So he'll go into that in detail and I think this is a really, really great recording. I hope you enjoy it and um, thanks a million for listening. Okay, so just with listeners there, I've gone through your bio, Darren, um, but maybe just in your own words, uh, could you take us through your own unique your journey into law? Because it's really, really fascinating. And I read a little bit about it in one interview that you did, and it was uh, just very, very inspirational. But maybe we could go back a little bit in, t- in time just for our listeners to understand your, your unique journey. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love sharing my story with people because it, it um, just kind of helps me understand where it came from. And it kind of helps students and my children that anything is achievable at any stage of your life. I left school around 14. Um, I went to De La Salle School in Singlis, and I went to Benetton College, which was the secondary school. I think it was around 14 I left secondary school. I had a job. I was working on milk rounds. I was doing coal rounds. I was delivering vegetables. And I had no real issues in school. I, I just left school. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody, I suppose, in their family has an aunt or an uncle or a relative relative is always on their case about going back to school and I do as well. I had an Auntie Hilda <laughs> and I had an Uncle Brandon and they were on my case all the time, you know. Yeah. We'd go for a wedding, Hilda be there on your case, Brandon be on your case, but in a, in a nice way, mm-hmm. go back to school, go back to school. Um, but I was earning money. I was happy doing what I was doing. Um, but then as time moved on, I started to realise that leaving school at such an age was a very bad decision. Um, I left school at 14. I no education, so I've no leaving cert, group cert, inter cert, wherever the exams were at that time, and I've no leaving cert. So effectively, I went to the workforce, just me and my memories, if I can put it that way, my <laughs> memories of being in school. Um, but I worked hard, and uh, I earned money. My dad told us, you know, keep go out working hard. They're always there to support us, and the, um, I made the bad decision to, to leave school. And it's as simple as that. So what happened was um, I went working for an engineering company. And I was there for about maybe eight, maybe nine years. And I loved music. And I got an opportunity to kind of work with a couple of bands. And the um, I eventually then got asked by Aslan, which is a, oh, yeah. a an Irish band based here in Dublin, uh, would I work with them? Mm-hmm. And I did. You know, I hadn't got a clue where I was getting into it. I knew nothing about instruments, nothing about guitars. I love music. Yeah. And they kind of gave me that opportunity to go uh, working with them. And I stepped with them for about maybe three or four albums. And unfortunately, then it, it ended. Mm-hmm. And my realization started that I had nothing to fall back on. And it is quite as simple as that. I had put a taxi on the road. I was out driving the taxi one night and I picked up three people. 
Um, one of them grew in the front, two grew in the back. And the girl in the front asked me for guitar lessons. And I was like, oh, God, no. And uh, so I gave her my number. I said, ring me tomorrow. I'll get you somebody. So I got her somebody to give her guitar lessons. Yeah. And she never left me alone since, you know. And uh, so we became friends. <laughs> we had a relationship. And eventually we got married, you know. No so way. I met her in a taxi. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like from a fair to a taxi. Not yeah. an affair, but from a fair. Like, you know, I think yeah. 4750, I think it was a fair. Maybe 2750, I can't remember. <laughs> and the, um, it developed from there. Uh, but what Fiona is works at St. James's Hospital. She's a nurse. And oh, um, she encouraged me to go back to school. Okay. And she wants me to study law or medicine. And I thought she was absolutely Law mad, or medicine. <laughs> law or medicine. And I rang up my friend Steve and I said, oh, she's telling me what to do already. You know, there's <laughs> chaos, panic. And the, uh, so... She said, go back and study law and medicine. We had no children at the time. Mm-hmm. And the uh, so we went into Dublin Business School. And, okay. you know, all the future students were there. Mm-hmm. They were getting ready to go into the, I think, like an induction or an introductory day. And I went in and rattling. And I spoke to Barry Halton. I think Barry has passed away now. He's a barrister. And John O'Keefe, I think, was the dean at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, come in. We'll support you. I said, I have no exams. Don't worry about that. We'll support you. Um, we work out a business plan for you, for your fees, and that's how it began. So you, you chose know, law, it's Did you, simply <laughs> not medicine. Well, I'll rephrase that. It was chosen for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like get in there and do that law now. And the um, so I went back and I did law. Now the difference with me, I was in my late in the thirties. Mm-hmm. I think it was around two thousand and nine, and I had a taxi on the road, and right. I didn't know how to study. Um, I knew how to read, but I didn't know how to read properly. You know, like what was the important information on yeah. the page? You know, mm-hmm. what were the bits that we need to kind of narrow down? I could write, but when I was writing something, everything would go in to the article or the page because I thought everything was important. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to start, start back from scratch again. And Fiona was the main instrument uh, in that, you know, reincarnation, you could say, of me going back to school very late in life. Wow. I had to study in my taxi. In so while taxi? people were in night. In my taxi, I'd be sitting outside nightclubs with law books and you know sheets of paper, and I'd be reading while I'm waiting for people to come out of the nightclub and go into the taxi. And then I would read my notes into my phone, and then I would play them through the system oh, of the car, brilliant. and I'd be listening. Yeah, so I had to come up with all these um, ideas. Now, obviously, I wasn't listening to myself talking yeah. in the system of the car. My customers were in the car. I didn't want to, to bother them that much. <laughs> and that's, that's effectively how I learned. I started pulling... Uh, into courts then mm-hmm. and the criminal courts of justice and barristers would get into the car and one guy got into the car called Luigi Ray and I didn't know who Luigi Ray was I didn't know he was a barrister mm-hmm. and he asked me was I in trouble because <laughs> he's seen a law book sitting on the seat <laughs> and I said yeah I'm doing this law of evidence at the moment I can't get my head around it and he said um, I study in law and I said yeah and he goes oh very good and who's teaching you this and who's teaching you that and I told him and he said, well, tell Barry Halton, he says, who's teaching this evidence I was asking for him. So I went to college that night, told Barry Halton, Luigi Ray was asking for him. Obviously, they knew each other. I hadn't got a clue who Luigi Ray was. And I kept on going back to the courts. And Luigi was into the car fairly often. And then I used to, he took my phone number. Then he used to ring me up. Oh, I'm going to a prison today. Can you bring us out? Mm-hmm. And he used to say I was one of the only taxi men who didn't read a newspaper when they were waiting on customers. I was reading law books and notes. And the, um, so he said to me, I think it was in year two of my degree, because um, my law degree is over three years. Yeah. He says, if you train as a barrister, if you become a barrister, he says, I'll take it on as my devil. I hadn't got a clue where a devil was. <laughs> you know, I didn't know. And a devil is somebody who does their, let's say, when they qualify as a barrister, it's like a year's apprenticeship, if I can put it that way, where yeah. um, you'd be under the watch of a very senior barrister who'd be teaching it. I'm not going to say the tricks of the trade, but just to make mm-hmm. sure that the knowledge you've acquired over so many years is properly applied mm-hmm. uh, to cases. So I um, did my law degree, and then I had met a guard, uh, Fergal McSherry, and he said to me in Dublin Business School, come on, we become barristers when we come out here, he said. And like, I was, oh, he was mad. That's Went back home to Fiona. Oh, he, <laughs> he wants me to become a barrister. Oh, you'd be great, he said. We'll get that together now, like, you know. Yeah. So if you want to put a thing in place where she's planning the rest of my life going into the King's Inn. So um, I get into the King's Inn 
Mm. I did my entrance exams. I failed the first go. Had to resit in gear later. Okay. And I get in eventually. I get in myself in Fergal, and the rest we started trying to embarrass us, you know. <laughs> but the rest was history. I had to park my taxi up because we weren't earning much money on the taxi, and so I had to retrain again as a healthcare assistant. As a healthcare assistant, in a ho- wow, a so healthcare assistant. So you yeah, did that while I had to you work in, King, in a hospital. Kings Inn. Yeah, I had to retrain because the 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 deal was, uh, or the recommend that was no, the deal was. I put it that way. To be honest, said, look, we we had two children during my studies, okay. and both of them were born. Uh, Katie Ellen was born in two thousand and ten, and Lola May was born two thousand and eleven. Exactly the same oh day, one year apart. But they were born on the day of my exams. So so Fiona was quite unwell uh, during the first pregnancy. Yeah. And I was at the end of her bed studying in, uh, in when she was in hospital. And yeah, so KTM was born the day of my criminal exams and we had to move those. And then a year later, Lola May was born on the day of my company law exams and then we had to move those. So every challenge was we, we, had, we were faced with as we went along. So when something didn't work, we had to fix it. So I had to go retrain the healthcare assistant and I went working at St. James's Hospital. And I was mainly working with people with, um, we'd say difficulties, whether they had medical difficulties or, you know, social difficulties or mental difficulties. And um, you'd be sitting with patients maybe for 13 hours a day, uh, tending to their needs, or else I'd be working wow. in the emergency department. So okay. my life kind of started backwards, if I could put it so, that way. I did all the work late in life, you know. You sure did. So you're working in quite a difficult job, I would imagine, with, um, you know, a lot of responsibility. And that was new to you as well, because you hadn't trained in that before. Two very young babies and studying for uh, to become a barrister, which is no easy feat. And your wife, obviously, Mm -hmm. having had these children very close together, um, you know, so it sounds to me like, you know, you did have good support around you um is that right it, both from the perspective we, we had of great support uh, my family. dad my mum and dad and Fiona's family um my dad passed away during covid recently and oh, um, I remember being well not recently in 2021 mm. which is I suppose quite recent and yeah. um, I used to walk through the king's Inn with my dad on the tourist day when he used to get paid he used to walk in the bus station um, across from the king's Inn and he used to hold his hand and he used to walk through the king's Inn and he used to say, what do they do in here, Dad? And he goes, oh, this is where they train judges, you know? Yeah. And I was going, oh, fascinating. And I'd walk through. But little did I know, in my yeah. late 30s, I'd be sitting in there doing the entrance exams to get in. Sure. Now, me sitting in the King's Inn to do the entrance exams was a, was a challenge and a, an accomplishment to me. But the support that mum and dad gave me, yeah. they were minding the kids. Yeah. When I had to do exams to get assignments ready. And Fiona moved out of the house into my mum and dad's when I was getting the exams ready. Mm-hmm. But all my friends, my family, they all kind of gathered around to, to get me that support to, to get the education because they knew it was important, yeah. um, not only to me, but I just wanted to, to give my daughters um, just the example to never do things too late. But if you do, because of any circumstances, mm-hmm. go back and try to fix it. But don't be afraid to mm-hmm. ask people for their help. And a lot of people will say, oh, it's too late now and, you know, um, to, to go back and retrain in any discipline. But I mean, law isn't an easy one to get into, um, generally speaking, no matter what age you are. Um, but you seem to have had the support there and the drive and the commitment to deal with any barriers and any obstacles that stood in your way. And certainly you didn't go in under the, the normal or the standard route, you know, where somebody has been, you know, in college, studied law, and they kind of know what direction they're going to take at a very, very young age. Um, so that's uh, just so unique. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will be really, you know, pleased to hear that, you know, your journey um, started off at a particular stage in your life and you, you stuck to it. And you're obviously completely focused um, on that. But can I ask you then, Darren, why criminal? Because, I mean, um, you, you know, you, you, I think the core area of your work is criminal defence. Did you know that that would be an area that you wanted to study or were you quite open to what kind of area you wanted to practice in as a barrister? Um, well, my master, Luigi Ray, when I came out of the King's Inn, uh, Luigi, you could say, like, waited for me, you know, so I mm-hmm. the exams going in for a school. So when he told me my second year of my law degree, he'd take me on as a master. And I think that was 2010, maybe 2011. Mm-hmm. It was 2015 when I came to practice at the bar. So he was my master. 
and he's a criminal practitioner. Mm-hmm. But I was always just drawn, even during my studies, to kind of like tort law, you know, yeah. negligence and areas like that. But mainly crime, and I don't know why. Um, I grew up in Finglas, um, it's a working class area of Dublin. Um, you know, some of my friends I went to school with got into difficulties when they went along in their life. Members of my family um, got into difficulties. And I think for me, I got rehabilitated in some way to go back to school, to go back to college and kind of make good all the things that I did wrong when I was growing up. And the things I did wrong was not going to school and not reaching out and getting that support and listening to people. Mm-hmm. So I think with criminal law, it was a natural progression to, to help people. Yeah. Um, not only they have to face the course for what they're accused of doing, um, but hopefully getting support in place where they can you know, become just that different member of society, mm-hmm. somebody who's come off the drugs or you know, cure themselves from any addictions they have or seeking the supports that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was just drawn towards criminal law. I wanted to make that difference. And since yeah. 2015, when I came to the bar, um, I think I made some differences to people's lives, more so my own. Yeah, yeah. You know, more, more so my own. Well, look, I mean, it's vital that in society, in any function in society, we have a robust and fair criminal justice system in place and that everybody can access justice. And who knows, any of us can be in the position where we need to rely on a barrister to defend us, anybody. Um, which leads me on to my next question, which we're here to talk about today. Um, in terms of payment for barristers and the campaign that you and your colleagues have commenced a number of years ago, which still continues, which really shocked mm-hmm. me in terms of the rates of pay. And it really eats into the system itself. So can you just maybe um, speak about the current rates? And this is legal aid rates, isn't that correct, for criminal defence barristers the legal in particular? Aid. Um, just yep. what are the rates, Darren? Just bring us through that, and you know the type of work that you do in terms of, and, and you know the, the the rates that apply to that work in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, for some some of your listeners who wouldn't be familiar with the criminal justice system, if I get into difficulty myself, let's mm-hmm. say today, I'll be brought before the courts. So I'll be brought before the district court, and in the district court, it's the a court of summary jurisdiction. It'd be the the court where most things will start off, whether they be murders, allegations of rape, they will start off there. But there's many matters that remain in the district court. Mm-hmm. So for the first appearance in the district court, I may have to meet the clients in the cells, or I may have to meet the clients, maybe they're not in custody at the time, mm-hmm. and I'd have a consultation with them. And the fee I get paid for that day in court would be €25.20. Euro, 20 now, if the client is in custody... €25.20. And if the client is in custody, I may have to make a contested bail application where the state, the guards are objecting to bail for many reasons, and they provide me with a booklet of reasons why they feel he should not, he or she should not be granted bail. And I would have to read through all this. I have to go back to the client. There'd be consultations with the guards. It'd be going back and forward. And then eventually we'd be in front of the judge making that application. And so that'd be 25 euro, 20 cents. And when we're finished doing that work, we have to do a report for the solicitor to say, this is what happened on the on this day in court. Now, if the client was to plead guilty to any offence, uh, he or she be bringing reports to court. Maybe they be had drug issues. Maybe they have references from bosses, or maybe they have reports that the court wanted to see. So again, I'd have to meet the client, have consultations, read the documents, make copies of the documents, meet the guards, and then ask the court to deal with this matter in such an appropriate way by taking into account all the circumstances of the victim mm-hmm. of the offence, but also the person who caused um, that victim to be hurt, or maybe they had stolen something, or maybe it was a, a public order matter. So it'll be 50 euro and 40 cents uh, for me to be on my feet um, to ask the court in many instances, maybe not to send somebody to jail and maybe to you know, send it to the probation services for, um, for other reports, just so the court can kind of get an idea where the person has come through in their life. But if the client wants to contest the case against them, we get paid €67 Euro for that. Six and you could have as much. Yeah. So I'd be meeting with the client maybe days beforehand. I'd be with them again that morning. I'd be reading all the Garda statements. I'd be watching all the CCTV footage. And we'd arrive in the court. The hearing could be two hours. And that's on my feet for two hours. That's not, not taking into account the preparation. Yeah. The hearing could be half a day. 
and the basic fee for that is 67 euros that we get paid. Now, there is provision where we can ask the court um, to apply a circuit court rate uh, to all the preparation that we have uh, prepared for the case and for the hearing. And sometimes the court will give that, and then the fee for that would be around 572 euros. Okay. And that's taking into account all the work that happens to prepare for the case, all the work that's going to happen after, all the consultations. But the courts don't grant those certificates of 572 all the time. So when we go into court and we're going in with the hope of earning 25 euro, 20 cents, 50 euro, 40 cents or 67 euro. And that may be the only case that we have for that's the day. I was, because yeah, I was going to ask that. That, that case would take, case. that could be the one case and it could take three or four hours, you know. Oh and the yeah, or it could be the one bail application, and it could take up to an hour, you know. So the um, yeah. and that's the situation that we're in. So the time spent isn't factored yeah. in at all. So just to be clear, twenty five twenty for remand, fifty euro forty for a plea and mitigation at a sentence. Basically, yeah. I know you've gone into a little bit more detail, and then sixty seven euro for a full hearing of a contested trial, which you might get granted a certificate for circuit court fees, but. That doesn't happen all the time, but in no circumstances the are the hours, the hourly rates, or sorry, the the time spent taken into account. Um, have you compared these rates to other jurisdictions, Darren? Just to give us a picture of like, is this the norm, and why? Why are the rates? Why haven't they changed? And when was the last um, change in the legal aid, legal aid rates for the district court? Well, in relation to other jurisdictions, and I, I just have it written here, and mm-hmm. it's from, uh, we did a petition to the Minister for Justice last yeah. year, and we had listed out some comparators just to let them see where Ireland is on the scale of things. And if I could just read a paragraph yeah. just, just for your listeners, that uh, we, we had put in that according to a report compiled by the Department of Justice in 2018, and this is the Department of Justice um, in the Republic, that the state's funding for legal aid per capita of the population in Ireland was at 18 euro and 40 cents. Mm. Now in England and Wales, it was 38 euro 14 cents. And in Northern Ireland, it was 73, uh, 53. So you can see that in relation to those figures, we're, we're, we're down at the end. Um, then we had another paragraph listing out the figures in relation to a European Convention report, mm. uh, which put recorded Ireland as ranking the lowest in judicial system spending in 45 European so again we can see Ireland coming in you know at the low end of uh, judicial spending and the low end of legal aid per capita spending uh, in relation to the comparisons I've made so we are low we are very low some of my colleagues in England have saying they are shocked at the fees I'm sure they are we don't uh, have an, we don't have an exact mark of, of exactly how they get paid or what amounts they get paid but they are shocked at the amount of fees that are paid to barristers. And, and this is allowed to continue. In relation to how far it goes back, uh, I've been told by my colleagues that I'm actually practicing today based on fees which were set over 20 years ago. Um, it appears that we were the subject of FEMPI cuts, which were austerity financial emergency cuts. And it appears that uh, many sectors have been restored their cuts, except for us. Mm-hmm. We haven't been restored our cuts, you know. So wow. it's not that we're asking for, a, you know, a pay rise. We're basically asking for not even the money back. No. Just to be put in the position today that people were at 20 years. So what it really is is that for uh, the criminal justice system for barristers today in the district court is run off figures which were there uh, 20 years ago. Okay. Right. So that's, that's simply where we are. Those payments are absolutely pitiful um, and I'm so glad to hear that you've, you've gone into the, the detail about it. So we're going to focus on that a little bit here and maybe you'll just tell us, um, I mean, nobody's letting this lie in your, your area of work and you've been putting a lot of effort into highlighting this issue. Um, what did you and your colleagues or how did you come about starting, um, I think it's fair to say, a campaign to firstly raise the issue, but um, you're really taking an opportunity to um, put pressure on, on the minister to, to change these circumstances, which is um, absolutely correct to do so. So how did this all come about, Darren? And did you start it or did you work with your colleagues and start in a campaign and a protest around this? Well, the, it, like myself, Luigi Ray, William Moran and Donica Craddock, we 
we, we came together because we were hearing on the ground, particularly at district court level, um, that people were just leaving the bar or leaving criminal law because mm-hmm. of PCs. And more importantly, people were panicking on coming into practice criminal law, students who were in college at the moment, sure. and students contacting me saying that they're not going to be able to survive on these rights. Now, I'm the lucky one. My wife is working. So mm-hmm. I kind of have that backdrop. Um, some people are taking on second jobs. So if you look at the photograph of the protest last year on the steps, yeah. there are two of them. Some people in that photograph are working a second job to keep this job alive. Really? So we talked about what was the best way to do it. We decided that a protest was, was important mm-hmm. uh, to send a strong message to the government. And we had two protests. And the first one was in March of last year. And the second one was in April of last year. Mm-hmm. And then what we did was we had done a petition to the Minister for Justice and that was signed by 88 senior counsel and 182 junior counsel. Mm-hmm. And quite simply, what the petition was asking for, we were setting out how bad things were, but quite simply what we were looking for was a direct claiming and payment uh, mechanism for barristers in the district court. When you're in the higher courts, the state will pay you directly. Okay. But it's the solicitor who pays us. It's a split fee. Yeah. So the solicitor gives us half of what they get. So I have to run my practice based on my 25 euro, 20 cents, but they have to run their practice, pay staff, holiday pay, so on and so forth, high insurance costs uh, from their 25 euro, 20 cents. And then we also asked um, for a direct payment system because we wanted to take the burden off the solicitors of having to chase up the legal aid fees so they could pay us, you know? So the paid status, the state paid us directly it meant that the state would be getting their tax straight away because they would get the withholding tax straight away. Yeah. They they tax us from source. We would get paid um, by the state directly. But also, once the state pays us directly, it means that we were recognised by the state as practitioners in the district court because the reality is we're not recognised wow. um, as barristers in the district court. It, it's mainly a kind of a, a solicitor-based and solicitor-run practice. We do have counsel there, yeah. and counsel do... Do, do run a lot of cases there but it's really the solicitor who gets paid and then they get pay us uh, they pay us and then the, the third thing we were looking for was the immediate full unwinding of the family cuts for everybody mm-hmm. not only people at district court level but for people in the circuit court and for people in the higher courts uh, because everybody are at fees mm. which looks like they're um, the same fees that they run uh, 20 years ago uh, everything is rising the cost of living sure. has gone up our bar council fees have gone up 6%. Yeah. So everybody's feeling the pinch. Yeah. But the reality is now my colleagues are starting to pinch themselves by saying it's time to move on. Mm. It's time to leave. We had two of them leaving yesterday. And so students are coming in. They're on the scrap heap of hope. The reality is their future is ending before yeah. they even get here. And it's important for us to go out on the steps, to send a message to government to say we're not happy and who's coming behind us, which is our future. Yeah. It's not happy either. So we have a second protest. Uh, well, it's a third protest, but this year we have a second pro- uh, another protest on the 2nd of May. And this is a celebration of failure, we call it. Celebration, a celebration of, failure. of failure. Yeah. A celebration of failure. Um, the Irish state who have done nothing about this. Mm. They have talked about it. They've attended meetings about it. You get the same spin all the time. Minister McGrath, we were told, who was the public expenditure minister back then, he was taking a personal interest in this. We have a new minister now in that position, and we haven't heard from him. We don't know what's happening. We have a minister for justice, who was the then minister for justice, who supports us, but is leaving it into the hands of the the public expenditure minister to unwind the cuts. So what we really have, the criminal justice system, being put into a different department to see if they're going to survive. Mm. And to see if people at my level are going to survive. And that's where we are. So that's how the protest came about. Okay. So, I mean, you've said there, let's not forget, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, you're one of the lucky ones because, you know, you've a wife who works. But in reality, I mean, this whole thing is completely unsustainable and uh, quite shocking, to be frank. And not only is it damaging to barristers, and as you say, younger barristers and, you know, people who are interested in getting into that area, but the administration of justice in general, because you are providing a vital public service. And if you're saying that people are discouraged from coming into practice in, um, you know, your the criminal defence 
and people are dropping out. You've mentioned two people that you know this week. I mean, where does that leave people litigant or people who need to access um, representation? I mean, that that's a real worry too, surely. Well, it's like the health service. When you go to see your doctor or your consultant or your GP, you want the best. You know, you want the person who's very experienced. And if they can't give you what you need, they will send you on, on to a consultant. So you could say in reality, you know, that we are the consultants, let's say, of, mm. the, of the legal world. So we're not saying that this solicitor doesn't have the skill and the competence to deal with the cases we're dealing with. Yeah. But they're running very busy offices where sure. they're doing maybe, you know, hundreds of cases a week. So we'd be lucky enough to get the brief from them. But what's happening now is, is that people are coming to court and they realize that the difficulty they're being accused of or the crime they're being accused of is worth 25 euro, 20 cents. And that's the level of representation that yeah. they're getting. It's a, it's a very low uh, fee paid to barristers to represent somebody in court when you take into account the CCTV footage. So it's an underfunded criminal justice system. Mm. And when you have something which is underfunded, even like the health service, the doctors and all the talent move away yeah. from the country or move away from the industry. And that's exactly what's happening here. I have students ring me who are ready to come down. The final year exams are happening. And they're saying, like, what's the point? And I said, hold it a second. You know, you're 19, you're 20, you're 21. Some people are 50. Yeah. Don't do what I did. Stay in school. Get your qualification. Come down to the Bar of Ireland. Come down to the criminal courts. Get the best, uh, um, you know, advocacy skills you can get. You're going to work with the best colleagues you've ever met you will change as a person and your profession will grow in relation to your experience when you're at the criminal bar. Yeah. So if you're looking for the experience and the talent, come down, you will definitely get it here, you'll get the support. Mm. But if you're looking to make a living, I suggest that you have to go somewhere else. That's, and, and that's where it is. So yeah. I'm telling people, stay in school, mm. stay in college, get that qualification, ring me up, allow me to help mm. you if I can. Let me give to you what people have given to me, which is support. But the advice I'm saying to people is, please don't waste your time mm. and your resources staying in criminal law when you're working for these fees. Yeah. It's, it, it's not healthy for anybody. Yeah. You're not going to have a family. So what it really is, is that the bar now for people coming in will only have people there who can survive at the bar. And that's somebody like me because I, my wife is working. I have a, a second job, which is keeping my first job going. But from a common sense point of view and from a business point mm -hmm. of view, I may have to start, you know, winding up this end of my practice okay. um, fairly soon. But what's important is, is the 2nd of May, we can send that message out. What my colleagues um, are saying is that some of them, if this is not started on the 2nd of May or soon thereafter, mm -hmm. they're going to take their names off the legal panel the legal aid panels they're not going to accept any criminal legal aid work or they'll just leave doing criminal work altogether mm. or they will strike yeah. so everybody has a different view of what mm. they want to do of what they think should be done but when you have a profession where some colleagues are saying that we need to strike we need to just walk out or we need to take our names off the legal aid system or we need not to do uh, yeah. criminal law anymore that has a very dangerous impact on society if the equivalent of going to a doctor where a top cancer specialist is saying, I'm not doing cancer work anymore. I'm not going to be involved in the health service payment. Uh, I deserve more. We deserve better. So when that experience leaves that end of a profession, mm. what you're left with is good people who just don't have that experience. Yeah. I think that's where the risk is. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's For everybody. a very worrying, worrying situation. And I'm hoping that the protest, yeah. your May protest, really hammers that message home. That's your third mm -hmm. protest, as you said. But this has been going on since 2002, essentially. And it's astounding that, you know, as you, you, you mentioned spin, it's the same old spin that you're hearing, depending on which departments handle it and which minister that must be incredibly frustrating and I know maybe it's a, an attitude usher we'll get to it or you know it seems to be lingering on for some time in one of your articles you refer to it as leprechaun legal aid 
Um, yeah. in the sense that Ireland is almost a laughing stock when it comes to other jurisdictions and legal aid rates. And you said your friends or colleagues in the UK are shocked by this. Why mm-hmm. is this not moving along? And it seems you know, you've had to take action um, yourselves to do this. And if you weren't doing this and raising this issue and getting people to support you, um, nothing, it doesn't seem like it's a priority. It, it, it's obviously not a priority for somebody. Mm. Somebody, it's not a priority for somebody. Um, our representative body, the Bar Council, have had um, negotiations back and forth with the department and with ministers, you know. And when you need to stand beside your professional body or stand in front of them to support them, mm-hmm. you know, so everybody coming out in the steps are members of uh, the law library and our, our representative body is the Bar Council. Yeah. And they have done, it appears, as much as they can but now it's time for the members, whether you're a member of the law library, mm-hmm. whether you're still a practicing barrister in crime or civil, now it's time for every barrister to stand on the steps and make themselves be heard. Quite simply, what it is, is that Ireland, for the view, it appears that Ireland is the jukebox of failure. You know, the records that are playing constantly are horrendous. We have the written, I have them written down here, the cervical check, the hospital waiting list, the pyrite, the homelessness, the mother and baby homes recently coming yeah. on, uh, I think it was Archie last week, was the unregulated psychologist. You know, mm-hmm. we have waiting lists, we have a children's hospital, which is costing, you know, billions at this stage, you know. Yeah. And what it is, is that it, it, it just sends a very bad impression yeah. that Ireland can't do anything right. Mm-hmm. And now we have a legal system, which is effectively collapsing at the moment, yeah. where people are saying no more. We're not yeah. doing it anymore. And this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So we're asking everybody, whether you're a student, because students are asking me, can we come with a protest? And I said, okay. So if you're a student, come down on the 2nd of May to the Criminal Courts of Justice in Dublin at 10 o'clock until 3, or your local courthouse, and come out and protest. And send a strong message to government to say that enough is enough, yeah. that this is my future. Yeah. You know, I'm 50. You know, I'd be, I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years' time. But at least I can leave, you know, positive breadcrumbs behind me that mm-hmm. people can follow to have a functioning criminal justice system. And mm-hmm. um, there are people who give you the silent support, you know, and the silent supporters sing the loudest, you know. Okay. But we're asking them to come out, you know, be heard, yeah. stand up, be heard, let government know this is not sustainable. Because the reality is, I may have somebody representing me in the morning mm-hmm. when I'm in the criminal justice system. And I want the best. Yeah. And not only do I want the best, even if it's a junior barrister coming in uh, to do, let's say, a procedural matter in court, maybe not to hear the case, but just to do a procedural matter, I want them to be able to have a future. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be able to have a future if there's no more senior colleagues there with that experience to share. You know, because we all learn from what's in front of us. Yeah. We don't learn from what's behind us. Mm-hmm. So people in front of us are saying, look, this is my knowledge. I'm handing it down to you. But the reality is, maybe there's nobody to hand it down to. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're calling on support there from across the board um, because it's mm-hmm. the, the, the legal system in general will be impacted. But I know has the newly appointed, the High Court, um, the President of the High Court, Mr. Justice David Barneville, I think he was appointed last year, um, kind of yep. around, around September, October time last year. He was the former mm-hmm. chair of the Bar Council, I believe. And he's being mm-hmm. quite outspoken on this matter. Is it important for you to get people who are higher up the chain, I guess, in the legal community to be vocal and, you know, to state that this is an unacceptable position? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure that's valued support. It's valued support. It, it's concerning that a, a, the president of the High Court has to come out. Mm. And just on the 24th of September, it was, it was reported by Mary Carolyn, and I can... Uh, read the, just a quote here and she quotes that the former chair of the Bar Council uh, strongly supports calls from the criminal bar and others for the unwinding of cuts uh, between 30 and 70% made the criminal legal aid fees during the 2008 and 11 financial crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the president of the High Court. This is Mr. Justice David Barnabas. So he came out and he spoke about uh, his concern, he went on to say, 
and if I could just read a quote here so I, I don't misquote a judge, it says, people who do criminal work, whether they are defending or prosecuting, should be paid properly for what they do. I would have thought that it is something that is vital in any democracy operating on the basis of the rule of law. It's continued. Many public servants who had their pay cut have had it restored, but the criminal legal aid barristers are still paid rates, which I think is wrong. Some do district court work for a fee of 25 euro, uh, 20 cents for an appearance, which might be the only fee that some get for that day. You know, mm-hmm. So when you have the president of the high court coming out saying that there's a difficulty, something is wrong, mm-hmm. it's time for people not only to listen, but to listen properly. Yeah. People so are listening, but they're not taking the, they're, they're not taking the uh, appropriate action. Yeah. So this protest that we're doing is um, by my colleagues, by myself, members of the bar, some people who don't practice at the bar. And this is purely us going on to the steps and saying enough is enough. Mm-hmm. If anybody wants to come out to support us, whether they're barristers, whether they're solicitors, students, even if they're government members, or members of the judiciary, we welcome anybody to support us. Mm-hmm. But this is a, a serious matter for barristers. It's something that we have to take hold of ourselves. Yeah. We need to stand beside a professional body and we need meaningful engagement from government. Mm-hmm. Our professional body has gone to many meetings. They've, they've been on the radio many times, you know, but yeah. somebody is not listening. Yeah. Somebody doesn't want this to change. We need to know who that somebody is and we need to meet with them and we need to not convince them, but just to convey the information that we're in a broken criminal justice system. And it looks like some of my colleagues, if things aren't sorted on the 2nd of May, will be following our colleagues in the UK. Yeah. And what that is is strike. strike and yeah. if anybody's asking me, do I support strike action? I do. Yeah. And would I go out and strike if needs be? I have no issue with that. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not faced with uh, many more options if you're not being listened to and actions not being taken. So that's the celebration of failure is the kind of title of, of name attributed to this protest. 2nd of May. And we will, coming up to that, Darren, share any information you have about that just to encourage people to come along to find out what it's about um, and to support mm-hmm. you and your colleagues in this really important um, mm-hmm. call to action. Just to go back slight, a little bit there, you, you did mention that students often contact you um, you yeah. know, to ask you about your work and obviously to explore mm-hmm. it as an option for themselves. Um, but I really want to say that I've been reading a bit about you and you're incredibly active and enthusiastic in terms of encouraging young people to get into law in general and not just your, your area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like you've covered it there. I mean, it must be very tough to, you know, promote the industry and show how people can overcome barriers or obstacles and start to get into law at any stage in life. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. so you can, you can break down those challenges, but also to balance that with, you know, what you've just mentioned which is the reality of the income stream and you know they really Mm -hmm. have to take that into account but when you talk to young people and young students who I'm sure are very inspired by by your journey especially those who maybe left school earlier you know haven't um, followed the traditional career route in terms of their education um, what comes up for you and what resonates with you when you first started to get into law I suppose at a a later stage in your life what what barriers Mm -hmm. or obstacles did you have to get over and was there any attack point in time when you thought no I'm just gonna I'm gonna quit and I'm not gonna go any further but the obstacle I had to excuse me to get over to go back to the education was confidence mm-hmm. and that's the first thing I needed the confidence to say just because you've no exams doesn't mean that you can become anybody you want to become so when students come in and I'm not selling to them only, oh, look, become a barrister. I'm selling to them, stay in school. Yeah, okay. And if you're not in school, go back to school, you know, mm-hmm. and get your education. If you want to become a barrister, in my view, this is the best job I've ever done. Yeah. You know, <laughs> financially, financially, it's not the best job I've ever done. So when students come in, there's, uh, there's one barrister in the CCJ who said they became a barrister because of the talk I gave to them so many years ago. And that does my heart good for yeah. somebody to come in who are basically saying, well, look, you know, I'm I'm following your lead here and I'm after bettering myself and now uh, I'm after becoming a barrister. I'm bettering themselves by, let's say, going back to school. They felt they needed that challenge. I think there's three other people in the system at the moment, somewhere in the King's Inns. I think one is in the Law Society studying to be a solicitor. And I'm happy that my journey has, you know, been a bit of an inspiration for them or maybe a bit of a, you know, a kick to get up and, 
you know, uh, and to, to, to make things happen. But my heart breaks when you have students coming in who are saying, I want to be a barrister. I want to do what you're doing. I think it's great. I'd be thinking sometimes, am I selling them a false promise? Mm-hmm. And I'm not because I'm being real with them. To say, look, I didn't go to school and this is what happened to me and look where I am now. Yeah. But I'm just open with people to say, if you want to be the best advocate, come in here. If you want to work with amazing colleagues, if you want to stand in front of the judge, come in here, come into the criminal court, mm-hmm. you know, you will get what you're looking for. Yeah. But unfortunately, within maybe six years, maybe two or three years, you may have to leave and mm. um, because it financially it's not going to be worth it, you know? Yeah. And that's the reality of where we are. But students are the future of any profession. But to actually think that their future has ended before they even begin in the criminal justice Mm. system, it's a shame to think that we have a state, whether it was the last government led by Fianna Fáil, this government led by Fianna Gael, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. We need an equal equal playing field for everybody, regardless of what background they're in, Mm -hmm. you know. We have good barristers in the criminal courts, but we need them from all walks of life because people who get themselves in difficulties are from all walks of life, yeah, you know? Yeah. So we need everybody to give them the opportunity of to be the best that they can be through hard work mm-hmm. and not because uh, they have to go away because they have no money, you know, because they can't survive. Yeah. And that's where we are. You know, that's the sad reality yeah. of where we are. But on a positive note, students coming into the course is great. I love them coming in. Mm. It doesn't matter what school they're from. I, some students prefer to come in with, into the court and spend a week with me or maybe spend a couple of days, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had students in who spend a week on a transition year, but in order to create more spaces, I'd only take them maybe for two days so I can give more students an opportunity to come in, yeah. you know. And it's great to see them going back to school, some of them who left early or some of them who were thinking of leaving. Um, I had people in who left school very early. who were adults and they come in and spend a bit of time with me in the court and they go back studying again you know so I'm happy that my past has kind of played some role in their future mm-hmm. uh, but the reality is at the criminal bar there is no future yeah. uh, for anybody on rates as low as 25 euro 20 cents something has to be done the government need to um, they need to actively do yeah. something you know? yeah. there's no point in sitting around I don't know why they won't turn to this you know is it a populism thing I don't know you know is criminals is criminal defence legal aid? You know, is it not a popular thing? I don't know what it is, but we need a properly functioning criminal justice system. We need to uphold the rule of law. We need the Bar of Ireland and even the solicitors end. In the, we need to open to everybody to give them an opportunity to come in and practice. Yeah. But we need people who are accused of criminal offences have the best representation and the best resources open to them. Mm-hmm. I did a matter in the district court recently and I got 28 files of CCTV files. 28 files, and wow. um, one file was 30 hours long. Now, thankfully, the court uh, granted me that certificate because I asked the court because wow. because of the amount of footage there. So it's 30 hours long, and that's before you meet anybody. You have to watch, you know, 28 files. One is 30 hours long, mm-hmm. and you have to read and watch all this footage before you meet the client, so you know yeah. what they're being accused of. And then you have to have the consultation. You don't get paid for the consultation. So Darren, in terms of, I know that you bring students into the courts and you, you give them talks. Is there a specific program around that or what, what type of students are you bringing in? Yeah, well, I, I bring students in kind of two ways. One is through the court services where the court services will have schools in. So let's say, for example, there's a class in a school. They may have 20 or 30 people. They'll come in and I give them a talk let's say about nine o'clock in the morning, around 45 minutes to an hour, or sometimes at lunchtime from one o'clock until two. And then I do the other end where people, uh, students personally come in and will shadow me for a week or two or three days. Mm. But on the court services one, when they ask a barrister to do the talk, they pay the barrister for doing that talk. So before COVID, the fee was 40 euro. So if I gave a talk to students for an hour, I get paid 40 euro. And it's a great talk. Students have great questions. They run mock trials. They come into the courts, you know? Um, so I'll be talking to a student now for 40 euro and 20 minutes later I'll be in the district court representing somebody for 25 20 <laughs> but the good news is after COVID the court services had increased the fee mm. so now when I give talks to students I get 55 euro oh, and so I'll be talking to somebody now and I, I, I get 55 euro yeah. for talking to them 
and I tell them about the course. We run the mock trial and, you know, I, I don't mind going over the hour. We, we have a, a bit of fun yeah. and serious talks at the same time. But the reality is that I got a pay rise for talking to the students of 15 euros. So I went from 40 euros to 55. But then I'm walking into court and I'm representing uh, maybe a man or a woman or somebody who got into difficulty and they're pleading guilty before the court. And I'll be standing up, opening documents to the court and asking the court to impose you know, the, the best possible punishment, not only to punish the person, but to rehabilitate them as well. And for that, I get 50 euro and 40 cents. So I'm actually talking to students about being me for 55 euro, but then I'm going into court being Being me, 50 euro and 40 cents, and then 25, 20 for the first court appearance, like, you know, and um, so that's where we are. Um, I don't like to be bursting students' bubbles by uh, telling them that that's the reality of where we are, but there's something drastically wrong yeah, there's something somewhere. wrong that none of this makes sense and dare I ask I mean I don't know whether to ask this quite but yeah. when you were a taxi driver I mean and if you didn't have another stream of income or any other support would mm-hmm. you make would a barrister going in to do criminal defense in the district court make less money than um you did when you were a taxi driver like a taxi driver and I'm not comparing the two scenarios but the perception mm-hmm. would be that a barrister would be earning a lot more than other professions. Oh like yeah, your previous yes, profession. People have this view that when you're going to the uh, when you come out of the King's Inn, that there's a pot of gold waiting <laughs> for you up in Park Gate Street. You just go up and you pick it up, you know. And this is the thing: the Leprechaun Legal Aid. You just come up, take the pot of gold, and you go back to Fingers where I'm from and live yeah, this rich, fulfilled life. Legal you know? aid lawyers. <laughs> it is absolutely not the case at all. Um, I have some friends who do drive a taxi and I represent some taxi drivers and they are earning more than me, you know? <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I, I drive a taxi, I love driving a taxi. Yeah. And they're, they're earning more than me. And even there was one actual client uh, who actually uh, had to come into court yeah. and he got a taxi in and his taxi fare cost more than his representation. I know he doesn't pay for it yeah. through the legal aid system, you know? So the, the, the balance is off. I mean, taxi drivers, bus drivers, postmen, they provide a very important service. And my job as a taxi driver was to get somebody to go from A to B, which was under their direction. Can you bring me to Dublin, please? And then you bring them in. Yeah. They tell you which way to go and you give them the fee. But when you're in court, um, these are the allegations from the guard. You have to assess what the allegations are. You have to take your client's instruction and you have to make that professional opinion. Mm-hmm. I was in St. James's Hospital yesterday. I had two appointments and the... Um, I was sitting in front of the consultant registrar and uh, good news, by the way, you know, but I had to get his professional medical opinion on what we thought was wrong, you know, Mm. and I can guarantee that this gentleman, I'm not saying I'm at the top of my game, I'm only practicing since 2015, but this gentleman at the top of his game, he is not working a second job to keep the first job going. And he's not working for 25 euro, 20 cents, you know, so the, um, it's wild, you know, Unfortunately, we, we have to leave the future behind us. I know that there's a, a kind of contradiction in terms. And leaving the future behind us means, for me, if things are to remain the same for students coming in or for people like me who are there, or you know, newly qualified barristers coming in or people like me who are there, it, it's time to leave the future behind. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is come in, get your advocacy skills, work around the best colleagues I've worked around with, and then just go off and do something else in the legal system. But don't practice criminal law under the criminal legal aid scheme. When people see this podcast, they'll be going, oh, this is depressing. I'm not going to be a barrister. I'm telling people, become a barrister. You know, yeah. come down. You'll be fascinated by what you see. You'll be fascinated by what you learn. But just in relation to remaining there and making a living, it's not going to happen. I think I got my daughter's ears pierced recently. I put it on my LinkedIn page. It was 40 euro. No, for her ears to be pierced. Yeah. Um, I think I got a plug for a phone for Christmas time. I think it was twenty five euro. You know, being paid twenty five twenty in the district court. I mean, for the price of a snack box, yeah. I'm representing <laughs> people. A snack box in a KFC, you know. Oh I'm, be, I'm representing uh, people in the district court, yeah. and this is what it is: is that we're, we're, we're. I'm sure that people. Are, I know my daughter's the same. You know, my dad goes to work. They tell me for twenty five euro twenty cents. We went to Blanket Town Centre yesterday. 
and my daughters are given 20 euro each to go into pennies, you know, <laughs> and to buy their little bits and bobs, you know. Yeah. And um, just finally, I'm speaking to you today after yesterday, I just was slightly depressed in reading the UK government's latest attack on mm-hmm. activist lawyers and lefty lawyers and the do-gooders and all of the usual, I think we were called a blob of activist lawyers has been the latest from the, the UK Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, and of course all of this focuses around the immigration crisis um, that they're talking about in the new legislation that they're trying to introduce. But I, I mean, that's we know that that's dangerous, we know that that's an attack on the rule of law and that's already been discussed. But I'm just wondering, in your opinion, activism and the law, and I mean, you're an activist, there's no doubt about it in terms of, in your general mm-hmm. work anyway, I mean, you're defending um uh, people in terms of criminal defence and, and human rights as well but um, just on a broader level how important is activism and the law I mean you're obviously going out to protest now on behalf of you and your colleagues but do you think um, the two work well together and can we make effective change using activism through the law We can make change we can change anything by being an activist mm-hmm. I mean Vicky Thielen has changed women's health in Ireland to mm-hmm. serve the check there's women alive because of Vicky Phelan. Absolutely. And there's women dead because of the failure of the state to protect women like Vicky Phelan. You know, we have this, uh, where the, the Taoiseach came out recently, Mr. Bradford says he wants to remove, uh, I, I think, the word woman from the Constitution, you know. And it's an important thing, but we should be looking after women more. Yeah. We should be looking after women like Vicky Phelan. And even with the mother and baby homes, you know. So it's easy to pick one area and say, look at what we're doing, I sure aren't we great. But we have to look at the areas that we failed in. And it's true activism that we make those things better. But it's also through the loss of life. My wife is somebody who suffered uh, because of cervical check. You know, Mm -hmm. she didn't die. She now had cervical cancer. She had to have serious operations uh, to avoid something happening in the future. Mm -hmm. So when you have an activist like Vicky Phelan or Emma Vicknahuna, yeah. or Stephen Teep, they are changing the way health, uh, the way the way the state look at women's health in future going forward, you know. So why shouldn't we have activism in law? Yeah. You know, because my activism in law is not only, it's not in relation to whether we think this law is right or whether this law is wrong. When we go to the courts, we will argue that in front of the judge and we'll yeah. put our case forward and the court will decide. If we don't agree with the court, we go to a higher court. If the court, well, if the law is set, and if it needs to be changed, we have to go to government, you know, and maybe bring in legislative changes. But activism is a very important of where we are today. I mean, we've activists all through through our lives. We had peace in the north because of people being active, you know. We had difficulties in many societies because people people being active in a different way, you know. So it's important that everybody in every industry has to be active. It's important that everybody stands up, they speak out and that they be heard, but most important is they're listened to. Yeah. Because what's happening now is that we have conveyed information to the government. We're not going to convince them anymore. Mm-hmm. And based on that conveyance of information, we're going to be on the steps on the 2nd of May. Mm-hmm. Vicky Phelan has conveyed to the government the failures of the cervical check. Yeah. And based on her good work, and based on uh, valuable time away from her family, she has changed how women's health is dealt with going forward in Ireland, you know, the failures of the state are huge. It looks like we're the jukebox of failure. Mm -hmm. You know, the same scratch records, the same spin, the same nonsense. So being active in law is very important. I'm active because I want a better standard of living for my children. I want a better standard of living for, I don't like their children. They're only 12 and 13. They will be next month. Maybe twelve and thirteen, but I want I want a better future for them, yeah. and I want a better future for all the students coming in behind us. So stand up, speak out, be active. Don't be put. People don't like when you stand up and you want to be counted, but stand up to speak out. What's wrong? Do it the right way. Yeah. Do it the Vicky feeling way. You know, approach government. I want change. So there shouldn't be any difference between an activist lawyer or an activist medical professional or an activist patient. If you're an activist. And if you have something to work towards and you have the support of society or you have the support of people who are affected in society, well, then keep on moving forward. You know, change will only happen when government wants to bring about change. But it's up to us to press them on the issues. They're our government. You know, we're the citizens. Yeah. We pay our taxes. We have friends coming in from 
different countries from war-torn countries, you know. Mm. Let them come into a functioning society. It's not war and torn like where they've come from. Yeah. Let them come into a, a safe country that's safe medically, so they can get the right uh, health, their medical care. They can come in to get the proper education. If they get into difficulty, they can be represented with the proper resources and courts. And if they're unhappy, speak out. Mm-hmm. That's how we move forward. Absolutely. Speaking out doesn't bring yeah. you back. It means that you move forward. So I say to people, become an activist. Yeah. You know, if you need support, talk to your friends about it. Mm-hmm. If people need support off me, they're stuck with their exams, give me a call. I can't help everybody. <laughs> I, I get lots of phone calls yeah. every week, tons of phone calls. And I love it. I love helping people. It, it's hard to balance the loss. But the way it is is that if we can change to our activism at the bar, all my colleagues, if we can change um, and just ask government to unwind the cuts. Mm-hmm. We didn't cause the, I didn't cause the emergency, but I'm being treated as if I did. Yeah. You know, restore the payments to barristers, you know, bring us in line with other public servants mm-hmm. who have got uh, their pay restored. You know, we're paid by the criminal justice system. Uh, we're being criticised for being the lowest in that report I had read read earlier on. You know, yeah. you're the president of the High Court who's concerned about where we are. So I think everybody in a way is an activist. Yeah. And some are more public than others. Like I'm on this podcast today, which will go out soon yeah. and people will listen to it and agree with me and maybe ring me and say, Oh, fair play to other people will disagree, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's my view. Yeah. And my view is the same view as everybody else's. I'm not representing my colleagues uh, who are going to be on the steps with me. But we share similar views, and the similar view is, is that we're working for little or nothing. So become an activist. You'll save somebody's life, like Vicky Feeling did, or the many lives of others. Um, and hopefully we can save the criminal justice system mm-hmm. so we can have anybody who wants to be there come in and practice as a barrister. But more importantly, that they have the opportunity to do it. You know? So what's wrong with being an activist? Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself an activist. I just consider myself who actively speaks out when I see a wrong, yeah. that only that doesn't affect me. This is a breach of the rule of law. Uh-huh. I don't want to be part of that breach, a silent part of the breach. I want to be a vocal part of the breach, and that's where I am. And, Since yeah. we went on the steps a couple of years yeah. ago, my colleague Luigi Ray BL has done two reports in relation to the underfunding of criminal legal aid in the circuit court. When it comes to disclosure, now your listeners may not know well, what's disclosure. I mean, when somebody is charged with a criminal offence, they'd be given a book of evidence which may contain 10 pages of statements of what they, of what the guards say has happened. But that book of evidence is made up of maybe reports from other people. It could be, there could be CCTV footage. So although the 10 pages are there you have to read, there could be boxes of evidence that you have to read as well. There could be tons of CCTV footage that you have to go through. And unfortunately that the, the barrister doesn't get paid for that. Now, through Luigi Ray's activism, there is a uh, Department of Justice now. You have to apply to them to be paid the money to read the material that they say you must read in order to properly defend your client. So the activism has worked there. Yeah. You know, it, It's starting to move where people are being paid for the work mm-hmm. that they do. They're not being properly paid. But that activism has changed the course of how people yeah. are paid um, going forward so become an activist why not why not so slow movement oh. but movement nonetheless and no no better person uh, Darren it's been absolutely fantastic to have you here today to give a real honest insight into your work the work of your colleagues the vital work of your colleagues and the challenges that face you and hopefully this um, celebration of failure protest 2nd of May between 10 and 3 where is it Darren? Where do, do people? It's it's a it's a ten, it starts at ten o'clock in the morning and it's going to finish at three and it's in courthouses all around the country. So okay. some people may not be able to make it to Dublin, so they'd have it at their local courthouse. But I I think that the main part will possibly be in Dublin because that's where many um, barristers are. But if I could take the opportunity to say um, to uh, all my colleagues in the bar of Ireland and members of the law library, you know, come out and support us, you know. It, you know, if, if you have any questions about the protest, give me a call. And we're, myself and my other colleagues have no difficulty. We're saying to the Law Society of Ireland for solicitors is that support us, you know, ask all your members to come out. I'm calling on the Bar Council to say, ask all the members to come out and to support us in this day of protest. It's a celebration of failure by the state, you know, 
they have done nothing meaningful in order to mm-hmm. fix this. We deserve better. Uh, our nation deserves better. And anybody coming before the courts deserves Excellent. better. Okay, well, look, we wish you all the best. We're behind you. Um, we'll help in whatever way we can and share this really important message. And we look forward to seeing the results um, um, following this protest. Thank you so much, Darren, for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today. If you like the show, please remember to share and leave a review if you have a moment. And you can also check out our website, www.activistlawyer.com, where you will see some blog articles written by our guests and contributors, as well as some fabulous Activist Lawyer merchandise. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.